0: Well, this is Ed Stetser Live coming at you this and every Saturday at this time and super excited to continue the privilege we have to bring some of these conversations with you that are important for the day we're in, the moment we're in, and even the challenges of that moment and more. And we're going to be talking today about relationships. And uh, that's always something that people kind of think through and struggle through. And if, if that's something we're going to talk about. Chasing Love. I'll I'll explain the book title in just a minute. Sex, Love and Relationships in a Confused Culture by Dr. Sean McDowell. Um, So the reason I mention that is it might be, you know, an opportunity for you to text someone and say, hey, you know, turn on Ed Stetzer Live on your local radio station. We're live coast to coast. Or you can also listen at the uh, edstetzerlive.com link. i will take you to Moody Radio. You can listen live online. Well, you're already listening, but if you want to invite someone to listen as well. Important conversation with a uh, trusted guest. And so we're so excited to have him. Uh, On the program, Dr. Sean McDowell is an Associate Professor in Christian Apologetics in the Christian Apologetics program at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. He travels the U.S. and abroad speaking at camps, churches, schools, universities, and conferences. He's the co-host for the Think Biblically podcast and has a leading apologetics blog at, well, his website, Sean Um, mcdowell.org he's also written co-written or edited more than 20 books including his latest which we're going to be talking about today chasing love sex love and relationships in a confused culture well i guess in california's good morning good morning to you sean and welcome to the program good morning ed thanks for having me on Well, good. Glad you're here. And uh, also excited that you're a professor at Biola and Talbot, because my daughter will be going there. She's in the the Tory Honors Program starting in the fall. So very excited to uh, be making... Probably more visits to Biola than I normally do,
1: <laughs> considering
0: I got one daughter at Biola, one daughter down the road at Cal Baptist and uh, one daughter just graduated Wheaton last uh, year or so ago. So running, running around the Great. country, getting these kids through school, but I'm um, glad you're there. One of the, I've already told her about you. And uh, she might even be listening to the program, so we, and probably will yell at me for talking about her. But th- I won't talk anymore. I won't talk anymore about her. <laughs> but we're so excited you're here. You know, it's interesting. I, I, when, I, when I saw your new book, the new book, just so everyone's aware, is Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. When I saw your new book, I thought to myself, um, well, apologetics, and now we're in relationships. The confused culture part is something... I always think of you speaking into, tell me what motivated you to write Chasing Love um, in this book at this time. Well, probably the three biggest things that motivated me were
2: Scotty, Shauna, and Shane, which are my own kids. And seeing the mixed messages they consistently get, whether it's through social media, television. My kids are in a private Christian school, so they're not getting that in the educational system. But where I live in Southern California, that message is just incessant in the educational system. So looking at my own kids, and part of it was, like you said earlier, I thought, you know what? There's no book that I think is really timely that deals with a lot of just the thornier, difficult topics like sex abuse, pornography, LGBTQ does it biblically-based, but brings kind of a worldview apologetic focus. Because I think in the back of the minds of so many kids, is they know what the Bible says, but they don't really know why, and it's only going to last them so long if they don't understand, here's God's design for sex, here's why God designed it that way, here's why it's good for you and for society, so basically for my kids, all the other kids I teach and I speak to, I couldn't find one book that I thought really captured that and so felt compelled to write it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's you know, I think the conversation has become more challenging over the, I mean, just because culture is, is shifting mm-hmm. and moving away, you just as a whole away from any more to judeo christian values. But also, too, there's been pushback on Christian authors and the Christian themes, um, People mad about um, issues of modesty or, or mad about issue or, or let me let me not put too much into people's words, but people arguing about how we talk about modesty or what well, we talk about purity. Um, if you wouldn't mind, because you talk a little, you address some um, what talk to us about purity culture. A lot of people, I mean, if you're not really engaged online, you might even know what that phrase is. Uh, I- explain that a little bit and, and talk to us how, how, you re- how you address that, how this is different than purity culture and more. Purity culture is typically a term that many would say started with the
2: True Love Waits movement in the mid-1990s into like early 2010s. And uh, other key figures would be I Kiss Dating Goodbye, the book by Joshua Harris. And it basically is the way, largely, that sexual purity was often taught in the church during that, you know, maybe 10, 15 years. And one of the issues, the problem with it, is the way purity culture has been dubbed is kind of the sexual prosperity gospel. It, in other words, what our culture says is we have the best sex in our culture, and everything in songs and movies is about sex. And one of the ways that the church sometimes responded was to say, functionally, you think you have the best sex? Come to church, we have the best sex. Now, maybe didn't word it that way, but ironically, I read this book, Critiquing Purity Culture, and they said, you know, sex can sell shampoo, it can sell cars, it can sell burgers, and now we can even use sex to sell abstinence and to sell the Christian faith, and I thought, Wow. We are playing by the script of the larger culture. So that's one criticism that has sometimes been raised of uh, purity culture. Other things, I mean, purity culture, and some of this is just a a product of the time it was a part of. It didn't really address LGBTQ issues, which have become so much more pressing right now. Uh, You mentioned modesty. Sometimes there was just a guilt-imposed sense, like, girls, if you wear this kind of bathing suit, you are responsible for boys and their behavior. So rather than having a more balanced approach, which I tried to take take in Chasing Love, sometimes purity culture could be shame-based. And I I, I hesitate to lump all of that in together because people taught it differently, had different messages, but there's definitely some corrections that needed to be made from the way I think sexual purity was often taught.
0: Yeah. And, and, and agreed. And yet, on the other hand, it seems that talking about sexual purity itself is getting labeled by people as by some people as toxic and getting labeled by some people as purity culture. Um, so it's a little tricky time to to talk about some of these things, knowing there may have been some ways that were I mean, there are certainly some ways that should have been articulated uh, differently. So when you stepped into the space, I'm I'm sort of wondering, how did you because, you, you know, that's coming at you, you know, you're holding up a biblical sexual ethic, and that's bad, and purity culture, and repressive, and more. How did you kind of work through how to respond to some of those issues and cast a, a beautiful vision of what Christian sexuality can and should be?
2: Well, the first thing is I read every critique of purity culture that I could find. I mean, dozens yep. of books, some from Christians, some very professional, like, critiques of purity culture, and just trying to listen and say, okay, where did we miss things? What do we need to correct? I read blogs. I listened to, I just poured myself into this trying to ask, okay, where did we go wrong and how do we correct things? And you're right. Some of the voices are from Christians within saying, hey, maybe this isn't as balanced as we thought. Maybe we need to correct this. And then there's some external voices basically that are going to critique any conservative Christian sexual ethic. I don't care. Well, that might be a little bit strong, but. I don't mind being critiqued by somebody who's going to say something like, well, the Bible got it wrong, or the Bible is antiquated, or Paul didn't know what he's talking about. Like, okay, I wouldn't expect you to agree with me. I think the Bible's true, and my job is to explain why that's relevant today. So I just listened to all of these voices, tried to make corrections, but I think the spirit underneath it, when it came to modesty— I think where we went wrong is sometimes it was saying it was so legalistic. And I said, let's get to the spirit of this. Rather than just saying girls don't wear this kind of bathing suit, let's ask the question, since we are body and we are soul and we are to love our neighbors, how do we dress in a way that shows love to a neighbor? And second, shows respect for the body. So I'm asking more questions and talking about the theology behind it, rather than landing in a specific place which can become legalistic. So I wrote the book that youth pastors would talk with students, parents would talk with kids, that it would be worked out in relationship with people. And I think that gets
0: to the spirit of what the Scripture teaches, but avoids the legalistic side. Fascinating. Okay, we're talking to Sean McDowell. The uh, The new book, it was actually published during the pandemic, I'm going to ask about that in just a minute, um, is Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. It's from our friends at b and I want to open up the phone lines to our callers. We always have insightful and thoughtful uh, questions and comments. 877 548 3675 is our number. 877 548 3675. Going to continue our conversation with your calls. I uh, want to remind you that the book addresses a variety of issues that you may want to ask about. It asks, it addresses issues about, well, of course, dating and love and more, but how does Jesus speak to singleness? Uh, where do we have conversations about LGBTQ plus issues, um, sexual sin and its forgiveness and more? So I invite you to call 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayers' book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at MoodyPublishers.com. Welcome back. It's Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer. I serve as the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, a Professor, and a dean. Um, And of course, so you know, we're Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. uh, Both. Undergraduate and seminary options as well, and our guest is at Biola. The reason I mention that is we're all for one another in this world of Christian education. We think that it does matter that you uh, shaped in a uh, your children and your young adults are educated in ways that are rooted in biblical truth. So, thankful for Sean and his work there at Biola University. He's written a book. Uh, Sean McDowell has he, where he serves as associate soci- professor in, in the Christian Apologetics program. He's written a book. Called "Chasing Love: Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture." If you're listening on the radio, you know don't we're not going to be beyond a PG conversation here, um, um, so don't be too concerned about that. We are we recognize we're on radio, and some of you are driving in your car and more. So, um, but we are talking about these important issues, um, defining issues in our day. You can turn on the radio. You can. Uh, you li- when you're listening to music, you can watch television, and sex, love, and relationships is for- at the forefront of so much of our conversation. But as Sean puts it in the subtitle of the book, it is in the midst of a confused culture. So, Sean, to you, um, you, you kind of argued that one of the biggest confusions this generation faces is about the nature of freedom, and that's a key theme in the book. Uh, what do you mean, and how is it relevant to questions of sex, love, and relationships? So I get a chance to talk to a ton of young people. And
2: when I ask them this question, I say, define for me what it means to be free. The answer that you'll consistently get is something like doing whatever you want without constraint. So I said to this group of students, I said, okay, so paint a picture of somebody who's living that life. They talked amongst themselves. They came back, and I said, I guess the person who's alone on an island doing whatever they want because there's no restraint – is most free Hmm. so i point out to these students i said you understand freedom from which is a negative freedom but you don't understand freedom for so take my cell phone my cell phone is not a scuba tank or a waffle maker it's designed for purpose it's when i know what it's made for and use it accordingly that it's actually most free i said so that raises the question if a smartphone is for something what's a human for Well, you look in the Bible, it's very obvious that we are designed to be in relationship with God and to be in a relationship with other people. And frankly, we all learned during the pandemic that a lack of relationships that are embodied is damaging to our emotional and our spiritual and our health. We're made for relationships. The worst place to be in prison is in solitary confinement. In fact, heaven is described as a city or banquet where there's people. Hell is described as darkness, which indicates aloneness, the loss of what we're made for. So I said to these students, I said, if I'm right about this, then the very person you depicted as the most free is actually least free because they're lacking what we're made for. Now, why do I mention this? Because in the back of young people's minds, they think, any rules or laws or constraints that tell them no is bad because they can't live out how they feel and whatever they decide is best for themselves. But that's a faulty view of freedom that actually ends up with consequences and with pain. As Jesus said, it's when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. So if you think about it this way, it was G.K. Chesterton who said, you know, you can free a camel from the zoo, but don't free it from its hump. Having a hump is what it means to be a camel. First, we understand what a camel is for, the way it's designed, and then help it live out according to its design. That's where freedom rests. Is there a God who made us? Is there a design built into the universe? What is that truth? And this generation is only gonna be free when it comes to the issues of sexuality, when they see it that way, Rather than approaching it through the lens of what feels good and how do I just decide what I think is true for me?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think part of the challenge is, I mean, the fundamental phrase that I hear from people today. I mean, we we we, we all sound a little old when we say "young people," Sean. Just so you know, the young people. Today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, we both we're both professors at colleges and universities too, so it's kind of weird. The young people. Um, they the phrase you got to live your truth. I mean, this is a fundamental identification for people. And that has to do with, could have to do with gender identity or sexual expression as we're talking about here. But live your truth. um, If it's not true, seems to be a dead end with multiple, well, multiple challenges and painful experiences. So, but, but that's so central to the culture today. How do we, to Christian young people who are maybe thinking through some of these issues, how do we help them find and see a better way?
2: Well, the entire first third of this book is stripping away faulty ideas about love, identity, freedom, and truth that this, cult, this generation, many of us have just imbibed without realizing it. So one quick answer is to say, you can have your own beliefs, but you can't have your own truth. You can have your own beliefs, but you can't have your own truth once we understand what truth is. So back to the issue of freedom, here's the kind of illustration I'll use with students. I'll say, okay, imagine we have two people who sit down with a piano, and one person says, hey, it's my piano. I can do whatever I want to. I can jump on it. I can take a bat. I can wreck it. I'm the author of my life. Treat this piano however I want and does that. Person B sits down, understands the purpose of the piano, cultivates the discipline to play the piano according to its design, and then sits down and plays Bach or Mozart or beautiful worship music. I'll ask students, I'll say, which person is more free? A, who just does whatever they want and ignores the design of the piano, or B, who understands the truth about it, uses it accordingly, and produces something beautiful. And the vast majority of students realize that it's person B, using that piano based on knowing it's truth that brings freedom. And I'll say, so if truth is rooted in freedom, then that raised the question, doesn't it? Is there a truth about human nature? Is there a truth about the world? If so, what is it? So we shouldn't start by saying, how do I just live out my own truth? We should start by saying, what is the truth? How do I discover it? And then how do I conform my life to that truth? Like the person who conforms his life to the function and purpose of a piano.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, all that Sean sounds good, not just good. I mean, I, I agree with you, but that's not what people think. Um, that's that's not the prevailing yeah. way. And you know, we you got students coming to Biola, we got students coming to Wheaton, our Moody Bible Institute have students coming in, and they there's a tsunami of different thinking. So how do and this is one of the questions a lot of people have is how do we raise up a next generation that sees biblical truths and the design of who we are for you know, God's purposes and God's design. How, how do we do that in a culture that is a tidal way of going the other direction?
2: Since the 1970s, all the data that I've seen, this comes from Christian Smith, sociologist at University of Notre Dame, all the studies show that parents are the prime influence on the next generation. It's not the educational system. It's not TikTok or Netflix or their friends, as influential as they are. It's parents. And the primary thing parents can do is have spiritual conversations with their kids. So I am regularly looking for opportunities to engage my three kids in conversation, in relationship, not preaching at them, conversation, to help them see the world biblically. And if we want to, at some point, I could go into some of those practical ways that I do it. But we should be concerned about the culture. But it really does start with us. We are the ones who have this influence over the next generation. But it doesn't happen just once. Like, I really wrote this book as one tool for parents to be able to have this conversation with their kids. But it's going to have to be to resist this tide of the culture that kids' studies are seeing, you know, seven to ten hours a day interacting with media in different forms. It's going to be a lot of conversations, a lot of rewiring building a relationship with this generation, stick with it for the long haul, then kids can resist some of the tide of the culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's open up to our calls as well. We're at 877-548-3675. My guess John, is we're going to get some calls from some parents and grandparents uh, asking more questions on some of these issues. Again, our number is 877 548 3675. We're talking to Sean McDowell about his book, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. Uh, Let's go to Jack in Pineville, Georgia, which I've been to. I think that's kind of near Columbus. Is that right, Jack? Is that where you're calling from? Yeah. Okay, good deal. Well, go ahead, Jack, with your question or your comment.
1: So, uh, I know some people who are gay or homosexual, and... I don't want them to end up going to hell. So how can I help them choose a better path and become straight?
0: Sean, what do you think?
2: Well, here's here's the key thing. It really depends on what we mean by gay. Okay, Does it mean having same-sex attraction? Or does it mean living out in a certain kind of relationship? Because I know a lot of people who have same-sex attraction, and they didn't ask for it. And are dealing with that, but love Jesus and are following Him. So my primary concern is not that somebody who is gay primarily becomes straight, because you can have somebody who what we call straight living completely in sin. This is something that my friend Christopher Yuan talks about. He says it's not about homosexuality or heterosexuality, it's about holy sexuality. So presuming that your friend is not a Christian. I would love on your friend the way I would anybody, regardless of this person's sexuality. Pray for this person, build a relationship with this person, uh, care about this person, and just look for opportunities to talk with this person about Jesus. Now oftentimes people in the LGBTQ community have certain Feelings because of experiences with Christians, so it can just take some time to show I love this person, I care for this person. So give it some time, but just pour into that person. And ultimately, the issue is what this person does with Jesus. Let's
0: keep the focus there. Yeah, I think that's worth noting as well. That you know, a person's eternal destiny is is uh, is ultimately through Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place, and those who have received by grace and through faith the good news of that gospel, uh, do have a t- abundant and eternal life. And I, we probably want to frame that very clearly, uh, that, that's what ultimately has to do with, uh, heaven and hell and more. Um, and, and that's, that's essential for us to get the, um, Sean, you know, I mean, when it comes to sexuality, uh, same sex attraction, uh, LGBTQ plus, I mean, this is now shifted to, you know, I, I tweeted once a few years ago and I said, 2009, you know, it was, how does my gay marriage hurt you? In 2020, I think I tweeted it. You know, we'd like this. We want the school's tax exemptions. We want, you know, this if you don't affirm these things. So it's it's become, even after Obergefell, when same-sex marriage was made the law of the land, it's become an ongoing cultural um, struggle, battle. I'm not sure what term to use, particularly for as we find ourselves... With an increasing uh, and an increasing minority, or a decreasing percentage of people who agree with us, we're we're certainly a minority on these views in our culture. The majority of Americans see same-sex marriage not just as uh, good, appropriate, and right, but as a civil rights issue. Um, so, uh, how do you not just immediately? I mean, someone's going to pick up this book, uh, you know, a Christian parent or more. Um, but they might see kids who say, well, you know, we're just, that's just intolerant with, when it comes to sexuality. Let love be love. We've got about a minute. We'll, we'll we'll talk more on the other side, too. But take about a minute, and then we'll continue our conversation.
2: I, I think for starters, it's important for people to see how culture has shifted. A lot of this acceptance towards LGBTQ has come through the media and the way this story has been painted. So you go back 10, 20 years, and consistently gay characters were shaped in a certain light – critiquing the larger non-affirming culture. Now we see in media that there's gay cultures in shows like, it's spelled S-C-H-I-T-T, Creek, and there's gay character in there, and it's not even an issue. It's like our culture is trying so hard to show that this is normal and we shouldn't even be concerned about this. We have to help our young people see, here's a biblical view about this, how we love our neighbors, but also how we approach sexuality and how we approach identity.
0: Talking to Sean McDowell, we're going to continue our conversation with him in just a moment with your calls, 877-548-3675. His new book uh, is uh, Chasing Love, uh, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. We're going to continue our conversation with him and your calls, 877-548-3675. Stay with us. Hey, we're back. Um, Ed Stetzer live. We're talking to Sean McDowell, who's a professor at Biola University, Talbot Seminary. And he's written a new book that uh, just actually came out the end of 2020, um, December 1, 2020. Chasing Love, Sex, and sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. I think the title keeps throwing me off because you have love in there twice, Sean, which is throwing me off. But that leads to my question because, um, you know, how is the cultural understanding of love different from a biblical view? You got it in the word twice in your title. So how's it different culture from the biblical understanding of love? This is such a good question. And I think, to be honest, sometimes our culture gets it
2: right. And many times our culture gets it wrong. So, spoiler alert if you look at the recent Marvel films in Endgame, you know, that movie climaxes with Iron Man willingly laying down his life as a sacrifice to save others. And everybody applauds that. Because it's like and you know Wait the, a minute, you, you know me. you're
0: going to get me like letters for saying that you really are you going to say tell us next yeah. that Darth Vader is Luke's father? I mean, let's not give it all away, Sean. Okay, but <laughs> but, but, but go ahead. Okay, so there's a sacrifice. People have love,
2: had yeah. people have had time, gave them a spoiler alert, but you know, <laughs> true, fair, that's fair. Obviously, I know you you're playing with me here. That that is an act of love, and everybody celebrates it because there's something written on the human heart that recognizes sacrifice is tied to love. And of course, Jesus said, greater love had no man than this, that a man laid down his life for a friend. Avengers, fictional, historical, and Jesus. So our culture gets that right. But on other times, our culture gets it radically wrong, where our culture thinks love is to affirm however somebody identifies themselves in particular tied to their sexuality. And it's bigoted or hateful to question somebody's you know, self-authenticity, so to speak. And as Christians, we understand, I think most people understand this too, that real love involves operating for somebody's spiritual, emotional, physical best. If I really love somebody, then I do what's best for that person, even if they see it, even if they don't like it. And the reality is we live in a world, even the Bible recognizes this, like the people who put Jesus to death clearly thought they were doing what was right, but they weren't. So that's where I think our culture gets it wrong, when it just defines love as affirming whatever somebody believes or thinks or understands about themselves. A Christian says, I love you, time out, pause, not willing to go there. I'm going to do what's best for you, regardless whether you see it or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm hundred percent with you, but that would be, again, because we're, you and I work with, uh, young adults a lot, you know, we're both professors. Um, that's, that's a huge like paradigm shift in the way people think. I mean, they, they often define compassion as love. If I'm compassionate towards a person's situation and then that compassion leads to affirmation and that is then the definition of love is compassion leading to affirmation. Uh, that's a hard conversation if you're saying a loving thing that is um, that is kind of contrary to the culture of the day. So how do you help some of these students uh, have the biblical conviction and the gracious approach to, to do this in a loving way? Well,
2: I think what we have to do is go back and help them define what love actually is okay. and why. Because everybody says like you said earlier, love is love, act in love. I'll say, students, I'll say, you're right. All sides here agree that you should be loving. The question is, what is love and why? That's how I'll approach with students. I'll say, so give me your definition of love. What you are fine is everybody realizes at some point, if I really love somebody, such as with a parent or with a friend, I don't go along with whatever that person believes if I actually love them. So everyone's going to concede that. And then we say, okay, so love involves not just affirming however somebody feels about themselves, it involves operating towards somebody's best. So then let's ask the question, what is best in the terms of sexuality? Is there a design? Is there a truth? Is there a purpose we can know? And some ways I'll go this with students is I'll say, do you think kids, when it comes to issues like same-sex marriage, we talked earlier, do kids need a mom and a dad? Do moms and dads offer something different to a relationship? Bringing that in shifts the focus from just what the parents want to what's best for kids. Now, it doesn't settle it by just raising that point, but I'm trying to reframe how they even think about this. And that takes a lot of conversations, as you indicated.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that's where a lot of people they kind of rush through uh, those conversations. Let me let me again open up to the calls. Also, too, we have some copies of. Uh, Josh's new book, Josh. Sorry, it's probably not the first time that happened. Sean's new book. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Ch- I know your dad. So, uh, but Ch- Chasing Love Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. Again, that's uh, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. And um, we're we got a few to give away and two insightful callers or questions. Um, 877 548 is the number. Again, 877 877- Five four eight three six seven five. Okay, so now we're getting to some of these love and truth questions. I think that leads to a, a good question from Susan. Susan, you're live on the air here from Chicago. What's your question or your comment?
1: Yes, uh, uh, my niece recently got married. She is gay, uh, and uh, they are having another so-called uh, ceremonial wedding for. Uh, The family uh, and friends and everything. And uh, my husband and I, the rest of the family are going. And my husband and I just could not go. Uh, But so what we, it's yet to to appear for us to all the family to go. So anyway, we went to them. We sought out Christian counsel and we went to their house. It was a wonderful experience. There was a lot of love and hugs and exchange um, as far as them respecting our convictions because we told them we love them. We want to be in their lives. I wasn't there trying to judge them or, um, you know, uh, change their beliefs, but I wanted them to know where we were coming from. And um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, Two weeks later, I thought, well, I'm going to ask him out. So I did, and I got a text that – and we also gave them um, monetary. We were lenient there because I was just trying to let them know we care for you, even though we disagree here Um, since we were not going to the wedding. However, she uh, uh, said, I tore up the check. Uh, Mm. We're not coming out. Stop it. And so (laughs) – It was very crushing, and I thought, well, something changed. How would you deal with this in the future? Because I do still love them. I really do. But I love God more in my faith and convictions. How do I handle this in family matters in the future? Because I'm the black sheep right now.
0: No. Okay. I understand. So if you'll hold on, Susan, I do want to give you a copy uh, of Sean's book. We're going to send it to you. Our producer will come in the line after Josh answers, but chasing love, sex love and relationships in a confused culture. So Josh, I mean, it, uh, I think describing Susan's uh, description, by the way, Susan is in air quotes. So Susan's not her real name, um, but she's, she's kind of describing the effort she took, the response, walk us through and talk to more broadly. How do we respond to moments like this? Susan, based on what you told me, I think your
2: response to this couple is beautiful. You showed grace, you showed kindness, you reached out to them, offered to help, and it sounds like you tried to do everything you could to show that you want to keep the relationship up and you love them, but you have to live on principle. The hard part about these dynamics that you're experiencing is we can't control how others respond to us. The temptation is, I want to be in a relationship, so I need to, in some ways, just change my convictions, but I would encourage you not to do that, because you and your husband have been very thoughtful about this, very prayerful about this. Probably somebody came to them and filled their minds with something, and they've responded this way. So my first encouragement is to keep up what you're doing. Be firm in what you believe. If you really believe in your conscience before the Lord that it's right to not go to the wedding— then stick with that. Second, keep showing grace and love and kindness to them. And third, you're probably going to have to take the long haul approach here. It's not going to change overnight. So hopefully that door's not closed permanently. Keep praying for them. Reach out, not like texting every other day is probably too much and will wear them out. But just now and then, set a note, reach out, and, and keep that up. I think that's all that you can do. Just think about there's probably no other voices in their life showing loving, gracious opposition to this. You all are the ones who are doing this, but you're also paying a heavy price for it. And so there's something I just love in the spirit of what you're doing. My heart goes out to you. In some ways, I want to tell you, just keep doing what you're doing and keep it up for the long haul, really loving them.
0: Sean McDowell is our guest. We're going to continue our conversation. We've got one final segment with your calls, 877-548-3675. Sean serves at Biola University out in California, La Mirada, California. There at Talbot Seminary as well. And his new book is Chasing Love, uh, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. So we'll be back with your questions in just a moment. Stay with us, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back. Final segment here with Sean McDowell talking about his uh, book, Chasing Love, Sex, Love and Relationships in a Confused Culture. Sean, um, when we're talking about some of these issues, we're talking about what Christians don't believe and then what Christians do believe. Uh, What do Christians believe uh, and what does the church taught or the Bible teach about the purposes of sex? Why does that matter?
2: Yeah, I love that question because we're talking about freedom earlier and freedom is rooted in truth. So we're only free in our sex, love, and relationships if we know that truth and live accordingly. Well, the Bible says there's two designs. What Jesus' sexual ethic is, is one way to love God is singleness, and the other way is in marriage. And if you're sexually active, that's to be reserved for marriage. And there's three purposes of sex within marriage, of one man, one woman, committed relationship for life. One, the obvious one, is to make babies, Genesis 1, multiply, fill the earth. But Genesis 2, 24, says the man leaves his father and mother, clings or bonds with his wife, and the two shall become one. There's a physical, emotional, financial, spiritual unity that takes place in sex, and that's how God designed it to be. So number one, make babies. Number two, unity. Number three is something that our Catholic friends talk about a lot more than Protestants do, and I think they're right about this, is number three is God designed sex as one way of foreshadowing heaven. Now, what do I mean by this? What I don't mean is in certain religions, if you die in a certain fashion in the jihad, you get 70 virgins in heaven. That is completely not my point. What I'm saying is it's interesting, is when Adam and Eve— Sinned, they covered themselves because sin causes shame. In sexuality, it's the one, one of the experiences, I guess you could say, where man and woman uncover themselves and gives them a chance to love and be loved in turn by somebody, even amidst those imperfections. Now, why is this important? The Old Testament would talk about. Adam knew his wife Eve, or Abraham knew his wife Sarah. The Hebrew term yada for sexual intimacy is a relational term. In our culture, we look at sex as only physical, but at its heart, it's a relational way of knowing somebody. And so in this life, it's a foreshadow of when we get to heaven and we no longer have to wear masks. I'm not talking about an N95 mask. I'm talking about <laughs> putting on a front towards other people, but we're able to know people for who they are in intimacy and be known back in turn. That's the beauty of heaven, to know God and to know other people. And sex is one way, not the only way, that kind of foreshadows that intimacy we will experience in heaven. And by the way, if I'm right about that, that's why if Satan can twist our understanding of sex, he can twist our understanding of heaven.
0: Well, I mean, you say if he can, I think we both agree that he has. I mean, I think in the cultural (laughs) battle right now, uh, the, the, the false narratives are winning over truth. And, you know, that's part of the challenge that we're, we're having here. Now, that's something you're passionate about. I mean, for those of you who don't know Sean, he's written a whole lot of books uh, around apologetics, sharing, sharing the gospel with Mormons, for example, um, all, all kinds of different uh, resources that he has shared. Yet here, we're talking about um, what may be one of the great challenging issues of our day, but I think is a... An opportunity for a gospel witness to show a different way, a better way, to when it's all, I mean, nothing the last few years has taught us, it's all not working, and to show this is what a God-honoring uh, value of sex and sexuality looks like. But you also have a chapter on um, singleness. Where? Why do you have a chapter on singleness? I mean, I think I know, but articulate that for us.
2: Well, a couple reasons. Number one, if this is written for young people, most of them might read it at 14, 15, 18 years old chances are statistically speaking they're going to be single for the next decade or so so what does it mean to love and honor god in our singleness but also people who get married i just saw a stat yesterday i can't remember if it was 30 or 40 percent of people at some point in their life you know their spouse leaves them spouse gets sick and passes away even after you get married a lot of people find themselves in singleness so we need to know what it means to honor god in singleness But second is the Bible talks a lot about the value of singleness, 1 Corinthians 7, Jesus and Matthew 19. I mean, Jesus was single. Paul was single. I think Jeremiah was likely single. John the Baptist was single. So the first question you asked me was about purity culture. One of the things, the other mistakes purity culture did was said that everybody's supposed to get married, and you're kind of on JV as a Christian until you get married, so to speak— But the Bible talks about singleness. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, almost, he seems to really strongly imply singleness is preferable to Mm -hmm. getting married. So I think we've had an emaciated theology of singleness in the church. And that sends a message to a lot of singles in the church that is just a a damaging message. So, really quickly, and when I was writing this book, I printed out, uh, I had my wife print out this chapter on singleness, and someone she works with who's single saw it. And she read it. She went to my wife in tears and was like, why don't more people talk about this? She's single in her 50s and struggling and felt like she doesn't really have a voice or a training and is not valued in the church. We have to talk about the beauty of marriage and the beauty and goodness of singleness, the challenges of marriage and the challenge of singleness.
0: Good word. Let's see if we can try to get in a call. Tim, we're going to go to you in Minnesota, but we need to answer your ask your question pretty quickly. Well, Tim, you're live on the air with your question. Yes, sir. So my daughter is struggling with uh, uh, bisexual stuff. Uh, what's the best way to reach her? She's kind of close to me, still open to mom. Um, and, you know, I got this quick picture of a two-year-old running in the street. You would obviously, if you love them, you would teach them that's not good. So uh, help me out. Jim, good question. Go ahead, Josh. Here's- I mean, Sean, well, sorry. Quick, it's, it's okay. My quick response is
2: don't beat yourself up. Give yourself grace to start with. And you may do this, but I know a lot of parents look internally and blame themselves. Even if that's had anything to do with it, give yourself grace. Second, I have a friend whose daughter is struggling with the same thing. And he told me, he said the game-changing point for him was when he realized he didn't have to convince his daughter of a particular position, but he had to convince his daughter of his love. Your job is to build a relationship with her, to love her, to care for her, to meet her where she's at, and then just trust that in due time that love is going to break through. Chances are she knows what you believe, what the church believes, what the mom believes. That's my guess. But does she know deep in her gut that you as her father love her? to me that's the game-changing thing so convince her not of a position necessarily as the Bible says for starters although we eventually want to get there
0: convince her of your love the book is chasing love sex love and relationships in a confused culture Josh uh, I, I Josh I Sean I really apologize I don't know why that's in my head <laughs> okay but now I can't get it out of I'm the worst radio host ever <laughs> on this show um, just I've known your dad a long time so um, I but know. anyway so <laughs> so last, as a matter of fact, I think I read a book on sex and dating from him when I was in, a teenager So, or something. Um, so 30 seconds, kind of share with us what your hope is for a vision of biblical sexuality and relationships. My hope
2: is that parents would take this book and read it with their kids and have a conversation. My hope is that youth pastors would take this book, read it with their students and have a conversation. I'm telling you, young people are hungry For real-life conversations about the issues that matter, let's do that with our young people.
0: Yeah, super thankful uh, to have Sean McDowell. At Biola University, where, as I mentioned, my daughter's headed off to in the fall, hoping to take some classes with you. And uh, thankful you come on the radio program and put up with my inability to correctly articulate your <laughs> obvious first name. But anyway, um, we're thankful for Sean McDowell joining us as well. Let me thank our team behind the scenes here at Moody Radio, my producer Karen Hendren, engineer Courtney Young, Eric Tidwell on the phones. Next week, I'm going to be with Saddleback Church's Tom Holiday, talk about the importance of making kind of quality time and regular alone time with God. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or at the Moody Radio app. And you can also connect with us through social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All are found at Live. You can see what's coming up and get tweets from the program. And remember, Live, like all of our Moody Radio programs, is a production of Moody Radio. And that's a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.